I'm really privileged to be able to share some stuff with you today. And uh, I'm going to let you in to a little part of what my journey and Leanne's journey has been this year. I think that's recording. Okay. Um, We're going to talk about some things. Has everybody got a pen and paper? Yeah. Yeah, right. So at the top of that paper, write today's date. Today's May the 7th. I'm just going to pray and then we're just going to move forward. Can I just get that down a bit, Lee? It's really punchy. Got it? Thanks. The levels. Yeah. Megan had a prophetic word about levels before. So, Jesus, I just want to pray that as we come into this place, that we don't step out of our hearts engaging with who you are. Jesus, you are jealous for us. But you're not just jealous for our minds, you're jealous for our hearts. You want our hearts. So as we step into this, I just want to pray over us all that we don't lose that heart engagement and go into a head engagement, but that what I talk about today lands in your heart. Jesus, will you open that for us today? Will today be a day where, as I speak, your words flow through? It's my voice, but they're your words, Jesus. And Jesus, you know everybody in the room, and you know what their heart needs to hear today. And so, Jesus, as that comes, let it be like magnified for each individual person. And Jesus, as we do this journey today, let your name be glorified. Mm. Wow, let's go, hey? So I'm going to give you a, a journey through part of what our year's been so far this year. And I'd like you to write on the top of your page a new perspective. You might want to say a new lens or a new filter, but I just want a new perspective. You can write that. Has anybody got, not got pencil, paper, something to scribble with? Because I'm going to draw, and I'm just going to ask you that you draw what I draw, and then you can do with it whatever you like. You can paper aeroplane it at the end. I don't really mind, but... I just want to encourage you. So this year, Lee and I have been on a journey, and uh, it's a pretty awesome journey that we're on. And um, earlier this year, God started to show us a, a completely different way to look at things, and I want to share that with you today. And what I want to do as I share this, and as you write stuff and I draw stuff and we do all this sort of thing, I want you to look for the bit of gold that's there for you. Because there's, what, 40 or 50 people in the room, and I've just prepared something, but I know the Father's got something especially for you in this. It's going to be different for every person, because your journey is different to the person sitting next to you. Is that okay? A lot of what I'm going to share, you've probably read, most people have been in church long enough to have read most of the scriptures that I'm going to touch on today, but I want to... I want you to let them speak to you in a fresh way. And all I'm sharing is out of our journey. And this is not, uh, I don't stand here. And those of you have heard me speak before. I don't stand up here on this pedestal and say, this is the way it is and you all have to do it this way. 
but I just want you to let you in on our heart a little bit and see what resonates for you. But it's a new lens, a new perspective. And how, did, how many of you know that when you put a new lens on, everything looks different? These glasses are a red lens. For those of you who are interested, they're good to wear at night. They block out the blue light. They help you sleep better. We won't go there. <laughs> the point is, as soon as you put a new lens on, everything that you look at, whether you've seen it before or whether you've never seen it before, it looks different. It's, it's tainted by that lens. And today, a new perspective and a new lens is about looking at the stuff you've always looked at, but maybe a little bit differently. When I take this off, you're all going to look amazingly blue. That's weird. Anyway, a new lens, a new lens. So most of you in the room, I, I know, have been in this place before where you met Jesus. I'm pretty safe assumption that everybody in the room's met Jesus and you're in this place. Okay. If life was all about just meeting Jesus then when you got to this place, you've sort of done your journey throughout life, you get to this place, all of a sudden something happens, you meet someone, you talk to someone, something changes and you go, oh wow, Jesus is real. Oh wow, Jesus loves me. And Jesus, I give you my heart and you become born again. We've all been there, yeah? If life was just about this place... And that was the pinnacle of what our lives were about. Then surely, as we walked along through life and we got to that place and we discovered Jesus, what happens next, if that's the pinnacle? We die. We made it. That's awesome. But I don't know anybody that that's happened for. So we continue on through life and sooner or later, way down here... What happens? We die. So I'm guessing, just because I've got some inside knowledge, that most people in the room, if not everybody, is somewhere between here and there. Is that be right? Is there anybody outside of that? If there is, come and chat to me at the end. We either need to chat about something or we need to chat about something. But I guess that everybody's somewhere on this journey. Is that right? Yeah. Good. Good. What for? To bring God glory. Let's close in prayer. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's exactly what it's about. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit today because it has, as I say, this has been our journey. We meet Jesus, but we have the rest of this journey to go. And that journey before we die is all about bringing God glory. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit for you today. Change picture just for a second. And I just want to challenge you with something I saw that challenged me. I'm just going to challenge you. Um, we know that people are created by God. Is everybody pretty happy with that theology? Anybody not? Cool. So God creates people, right? And I want to ask you, what's your picture of how God creates people? Is it like here... We're in a different picture to before. Is it like here where there's, there's a lot of people being born every day? Hey, does anybody know how many are born every day? 
Lots, heaps. We just say lots. So God's busy making people and there's this production line of people and he's up there like, whoa, I've got a bucket of creativity and I'll tip that there and I'll splash a little bit of uh, intelligence there and let me put a little bit of uh, compassion here and I'll throw some good looks, uh, yep, all over you guys and I'll bring... So God's like, and you're like, you're on this production line and whatever lands at that time is what you get and you get on and you've got life. Or... Is God looking at you in creation? And is God saying, Rob sharing? Dreaming of Rob. He needs this, and I'm going to give him some of this, some creativity, some stunning good looks, a whole lot of intelligence. This is how I'm going to build Rob. Yeah, charisma, class, all of those things. He's not splashing it around. He says, this is the journey for this guy, and I'm going to give him all he needs to walk out the journey that brings me glory. He's an artisan. He's a craftsman. Paul writes, and I don't know where, somebody might be able to tell me, he's the master craftsman. You are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. God's not just splashing things around. How you were created and what is in you is there for a purpose and a reason. And he wants that expressed. He wants that expressed because it brings him glory. It's not a fluke. But if you hide it away, it doesn't get expressed. We'll come back to that picture in a second. I want to draw a little thing here. Somebody said, will there be colors? There's always colors. Um, this, this came out of a time that Lee and Mike and I were away um, earlier this year. We were at another church. These guys were doing some ministry stuff and, and we we're singing the song that I think you all know, which goes, you split the sea that I can walk right through. Does everybody know that song? My fears were drowned in perfect love. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. You split the sea that I could walk right through. You split the sea that I could walk right through. This is just going around in my head. And as, as is often the case for me, I start thinking, well, what does that even mean? I mean, I know that... Hold on. God, what does that mean? And this is the picture I got. He took me to a picture. You can draw this if you like. Um, It's not very technical. But let me encourage you. Let's draw it. Will there be colors, they said. Oh, yeah. Let there be colors. I know you don't have colors, and... You can share with friends. Who has red? I have red. Okay. He took me back to a picture, right? And this is a picture. Can everybody see that? It should take you just a second to draw. Got it? Everyone happy? This, he took me back to the journey of Exodus. And of course, we know the story that God split the Red Sea there. And, and this has started to unfold over the last several months. And I, I just want to paint a picture. Down here, this picture represents, and it's a pretty good map actually, this picture represents Egypt. And in the Old Testament in Exodus, 
the peop- God's people were slaves and oppressed in Egypt. This here is the Red Sea. Whoops. Ah, this here is the promised land. What is this then? Does anybody know? I heard it. Someone said it. This here is the wilderness. I think that's what somebody said. And this here is the Mediterranean Ocean. If you look at your map, it's probably something like that. Maybe a little fancier. The Mediterranean Sea is the blue bit. It may not quite be to scale. <laughs> Forgive me. You get the picture. So here's the picture. And God started to show me that uh, the, the line, you split the sea that I can walk right through. Once upon a time, God's people, the Israelites, they were slaves and oppressed in Egypt. And a guy called Moses, you've probably heard about, comes along and he talks to Pharaoh and the people get taken out of Egypt, no longer slaves. How do they get across the Red Sea? We know that God splits the sea and they walk right through. Yeah? Is everybody happy with with that story? It's probably being told upstairs at the moment. God parts the Red Sea and the nation of Israel, which is about a million to a million and a half people, march on through there. They turn around. They see the Egyptians coming. They scoot on through. And what happens to the Egyptians? They get wet, they drown, and God says, the Egyptians you see before you, those who have oppressed you, those who you see before you, you will see no more. That's what God says. Yeah? So, they're slaves. God delivers them out of slavery into the wilderness, and he uh, splits the seas that they can walk right through. It's all pretty okay so far. I'm going to change these names for a second. As I sat with it, I started to see a a pattern going on. And I started to see a pattern that Egypt was like hell. This is where we're slaves and we are oppressed and we work for someone else tirelessly and we get beaten. The promised land is like heaven. This is where they were going to. And so the wilderness, if we want to look at that, becomes earth. Is everybody okay? I've made a jump there. This is just my theory, what I felt God showed me. So they were oppressed here and God said, out we come. I split the sea that you can walk right through. What bound you before the enemy was drowned in my perfect love as I push the sea back over him. And God says, those that bound you, you will see no more. And I want to tell you that whilst we live in a world where the enemy has some dominion, he only has the power that we let him have. And so, the devils, the demons, we don't have to see anymore. God said, the the Egyptians you see before you, you will see no more, wiped out, gone, finished. I don't want to focus on that today. I want to keep moving forwards and talk about the rest of the picture. What happens not long after they get across the Red Sea? They go to Mount Sinai. Thanks, Janine. What happens on Mount Sinai? A little bit of Bible study. 
rules, law, Ten Commandments. What also happens when Moses is up face to face with God? What else happens there? What do they build? They build a tabernacle. That comes afterwards. Calf. They build a golden calf. They build an idol to something that's not God. What does God think about that? Okay. So here, in the wilderness, these people, God's chosen people, start to worship something other than God. And God says, oh, uh uh-uh. That story plus the story of the spies, for those of you who know it, uh, leads God to say to them, this generation will never walk into the promised land that I've set for them. In fact, only two who crossed this Red Sea found their way to live in the promised land. They were Joshua and Caleb. Read in, I think it was, it's probably... Exodus is probably like Numbers or Deuteronomy. Somewhere in there, they send out the spies and those two get told, you go into the promised land. Let's fast forward a little bit. How long do they spend in the wilderness? 40 years. Does somebody know? I don't really know. I've got to guess. How long, if they walked straight from there to there, it would have been? 40 days. There you go. Eight days. Look, it's not 40 years. It's not even one year, yet they wandered lost in the wilderness. They didn't know where they were going. They were just lost. They never entered the promised land. Eventually, they did, though. Eventually, they entered the promised land, and who knows how they entered the promised land. Literally, how did they do it? Ah, good. <laughs> You want to say that nice and loud for me? No? Does anybody else know then? We'll go back to the crowd. They went through water. Once again, it was split. It was the Jordan River. It's not the Red Sea. It was the Jordan River. God parted it and they walked right through. So here's this song that we all sing. You split the seas that I can walk right through. My fears were drowned in perfect love. I'm no longer a, a slave. I'm now a child. And I want to tell you that when Jesus died, Mike talked about this during worship, when Jesus died, the curtain was torn from top to the bottom and that gave us, that gave people access no longer to be slaves, but now to be able to walk into the Holy of Holies and have communion and intimacy with the Father. That's why Jesus died. That's why that happened. And so I want to say that the split seas represent the split curtain that gave us access to the Father. Back to my first picture, you're going along through life and you get to this point and you meet Jesus. Now you've realized that you have access to the Father. Now your life becomes about not living here, but the curtains torn, the sea was split, you now have access to heaven. I want to read some scriptures. I want to paint this because I asked, what's the point between that there and that there? What are we here for? It was to glorify God. And that's absolutely right. Because there's a world around us who are wandering lost in the wilderness. They're working really hard to build their own kingdoms in the wilderness. 
and they're actually looking for true life. They're looking for, for truth and freedom and, and love. They're looking for some degree of status, but they're stuck here in the wilderness. When you met Jesus, when I met Jesus, when anybody meets Jesus, what actually happens is you don't have to live here anymore. You now have access to here. Is that okay for everybody? You have access to the heavenly realm. Let me read some. uh, I've got heaps to read here, but I'm just going to try and write down Ephesians 2 and have a read. I'm going to read it to you. This is from the NIV, and this says, just put on my glasses. I won't do that because I won't be able to read it. It says, Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 to 10, NIV, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. Now, Ephesians, Paul's writing to people who are in the same realm that we are. They're alive. They're not dead. And he says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its uh, desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. We were stuck here. God made us alive in Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, Paul says, that we were here and we were deserving of death. And yet because of grace and because of what Jesus did, he split the seas that we can walk right through. And we are now seated in heavenly places with Jesus. How many of you feel like your life is a heavenly place? How many of you feel like you're lost and wandering around in the wilderness? The truth is, the Bible says, you have access to heavenly realms right now. That's what happened when you met Jesus. Colossians 3. Christ's resurrection from the dead is your resurrection too. This is why we yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned in the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities. Paul's talking to people who have not died. These are people who are living in the world at the time. And he says, feast your thoughts with, uh, uh, fill your thoughts with heavenly realities. It's possible for us to fill our thoughts with the realities of heaven because that's where we are called to live from. He says, fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not the distractions of the natural realm. We're well versed with the distractions of the natural realm, hey? Philippians 3 says, our passions are set on the heavenly realm. Uh, That's in the, the Passion Translation. But in the NIV, it says... Our citizenship is in heaven. That's uh, For those of you who are writing this down, that's Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. How many of you know that you can be a citizen of another country, but live in Australia? It's true, hey? 
So where is your identity? If you're an American citizen, where is your identity? America, yeah? Should be. But you can live here. You can live in New Zealand and be an Australian citizen. Yet you're still representing uh, Australia, even though you're in New Zealand. So we're called to be citizens of heaven, but we're living on earth. When we represent a citizenship, when, when somebody represents their country, uh, America and Australia, for example, they carry all of, all of uh, uh, the American in them, but then they live here, they're still American. You're a citizen of heaven. That's what the Bible says. Paul says it, Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. So, we have access to here, yet we live here. Because we know that as we met Jesus, we didn't get whisked away. We got, we got kept here for a reason, to glorify God, as was said earlier. But we get to do that with a citizenship that is access to the heavenly realms. And as we express that through the rest of our life, until the day we die, we get all the way to this end, and then we get to live there permanently. You know, this journey is about, as we said, representing God. And what does that, what does that look like? Is everybody good? Everyone okay? I know in my life, and I know lots of people I've talked to, and I, I can probably guess there's a few people in the room who scratch their head and say, what's my life really all about? What's the purpose for my life? What am I doing? Do, do I matter? Or oh, you matter. You're a citizen of heaven. You're here. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. The kindness of God is shown through you. It's shown through me. That's why you're here. Peter, 1 Peter 2 says, My divinely loved friends, since you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, that's the same thing, but the flip is saying, you are aliens. You are foreigners in this world. Now remember, Peter's not talking to people who are any different to you or I. And he's saying, hey, guess what, friend? You don't belong here. Huh. Hey, you're a resident alien. Hey, Rob, you're an alien. Hey, how about that? Yeah, you're a foreigner. You don't belong here. Why? Because you're a citizen of heaven. You're only visiting. You're an alien and a stranger in this place. Romans 12, 2, I don't have it here, but it says something like, you've probably all heard it, it's pretty well repeated, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. We come into a place where we don't conform to the world around us. We're transformed by continually coming into this place, into a place that you already have access to. He split the sea that you could walk right through. Your fears were drowned. You're no longer a slave. You're now a son. And when I say son, that's genderless. What it says, a son carries the inheritance of the father. Just like I'm part of the bride of Christ. You're an alien. You're a foreigner. Your citizenship is in heaven. But you still exist here and you're here to bring him glory. Glory. 
Colossians 3.5 says, Consider your life in this natural realm as already dead and buried. Does anybody read war history or war stories? Few, yeah, good, good. I don't. But what I know, what I'm told, is that the best soldiers, the best soldiers, the most courageous, the most fearless, those who get the most done, the most decorated soldiers, are those who already consider themselves dead before they enter the battlefield. Have you heard that? Why? Now they're fearless. Now they enter the battle and they're not scared of dying because they said, well, you know what, I'm practically already dead. And so I'm just going to run out there and with courage, uh, I'm able to do amazing things because I'm not sitting here trying to protect my own life, fearful that I'm going to die. I go, well, you know what? Maybe I'm already dead. So let's just charge. Colossians, consider your life in this natural realm as already dead and buried. In Matthew, uh, and this is Jesus saying this. If you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely disown your life. Who's up for that? <laughs> I see a few little hands. <laughs> completely disown your life. We often hear that in church and we're like, oh, but what about all the stuff I want to do? And what about all the things? And hold on, does that mean I have to give up this and this? And we have this picture. I, maybe I'm talking of me. Maybe I'm alone here. But we have this picture that if I give up my life... Um, what's that going to look like and what about all the things that I want to do and achieve and get to and experience? In the absence of knowing how much access do we have to the heavenly realms and that access brings us into a place of intimacy with a father, this is a father of love. This is not a father of laws. This is a father of love and you have access to that place. So as you disown your life and you're already dead, you're actually alive to him. And what you have more reality in is intimacy with him in the heavenly realm. It all comes back to love. If you recognize that you got perfect love delivered to you that day that you met him. Now, the rest of your life, you can't top that. You can forget it, but you can't top it. So the rest of your life, Jesus says, if you want to truly follow me, you should at once completely disown your life and you must be willing to share my cross and experience and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. But if you choose self-sacrifice and lose your lives for my glory, you will continually discover true life. If you come and lose your life for my glory, but then serve me back in here, there's a world of people who are lost and wandering in the wilderness who don't know this is possible. And they're building themselves kingdoms. Hey, I've been there. Building themselves kingdoms and businesses and houses and inheritances and, and all of this stuff that gives them status and authority because they think that that'll get them there. But if you want to discover true life, Choose self-sacrifice and lose your life for my glory, Jesus says. And we see that right at the start. That's what this journey is all about. Jesus goes on in this and says, But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will forfeit what you try to keep. Even if you were to gain all of the wealth and the power of this world, with everything it could offer, what good would that be? 
You know, there's a bunch of people. We could, we could pull up some people here and talk about the Bill Gateses and the Steve Jobs and the president of the American... Who's this guy at the moment? Donald Trump and, and, and all these guys. Sorry, lots of people in my mind at the moment. These guys who are big and influential and have power and wealth. Now, I don't know any of them personally, and I don't know if they've discovered Jesus. Maybe they have. But these are people with massive empires and massive influence and massive power and massive wealth. And yet, the most massive kingdom built in the wilderness is smaller and less significant than somebody who's discovered this. Those people could build, you could build, I could build an enormous kingdom in the wilderness, of the wilderness, and still be empty and unhappy. And I want to propose that our life is about giving Him glory, not building our kingdoms in the wilderness, but building His kingdom in the wilderness, bringing Him glory, representing Him, Your life is about walking out this journey, surrendered to Him, in a place where you consider yourself already dead and therefore courageous to walk into what He calls you to walk into. Remember the picture at the start. He's not a God who just slaps a whole lot of things together and says, well, we'll see how Alan comes out. He goes, no, 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 no. I can see the journey that he's going to walk. And this is what he's going to need. These are the things that I'm putting in him. He has a picture of your life before creation. He says, this is the journey I want him to walk. This is the journey I want her to walk. So one of the things you might consider doing is saying, what's the journey you want me to walk? What did you dream of that I would walk out for you in my life that you've already equipped me for? And how do I align with that? Rather than, what should I do for a job? What should I do for a a partner, a spouse? Where should I live? How should I build a business? What, blah, 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 blah. All these questions that bubble in our head are less significant than, what is it that you saw? You've given me access to that. What is it that you saw that you wanted me to walk out here that brings you glory? I know there's some people in the room who... Just love this conceptually and go, oh, this is awesome. I love the concept. But there's some other people in the room with a crowd this size who are going, that's a, interesting, but what do I do? Okay? And so let me give you some scriptures to write down. I'm going to read them. And these are some of the things that you can do to position yourself to know this and to live a life where his kingdom is built, not your kingdom is built, where you bring him glory and you walk out exactly what he thought of when he thought of you. Proverbs 19.23 It says, When you live a life of abandoned love, Surrendered before the awe of God. Here's what you'll experience. Abundant life, continual protection and complete satisfaction. You know, there are people in the world who will criticize you. But when you live a life of abandoned love, surrendered before the awe of God, you will have abundant life, continual protection and complete satisfaction. Your journey from here to there will be abundant. 
complete satisfaction in your life. So what do you do? Live a life of abandoned love. Surrender before the awe of God. You have access to see the Father. And as we see the Father, that should be bringing us to our knees because of His majesty. Philippians. <laughs> Philippians says, Continually, uh, Continue to allow your new life to manifest through you as you live in the holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into His presence. Philippians 2, 12 to 15. It brings you, it says, live in the holy awe of God. Live, live your life. Don't just visit it every so often. Live in the holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. Not out of, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, but my goodness, this is a majestic God. And I'm welcome. He split the sea. You can walk right through. No more fear, but this is a majestic and powerful God. It goes on, it says, God will continually revitalize you, implanting you with a passion to accomplish the good things you desire to do. As you come into his presence, trembling, uh, as you come in with holy awe, trembling before his presence, he will revitalize you with passion. Anybody lost passion? Awesome, nobody? That's cool. <laughs> it goes on, it says, live a cheerful life without complaining. I hear some sneakers. It says, For then you will be as innocent, faultless, and the pure children of God, even though you live in the midst of a brutal and perverse culture. For you will appear among them as shining lights in the universe, offering them the words of eternal life. Grasp that. You live in a brutal and perverse culture, but you will be a shining light offering them words of eternal life. Why? Because what happens here is brutal and perverse, but your identity is different. Your citizenship is different. You don't have to succumb to this because you've discovered a greater truth. That's what happened here when you had that connection. So as you walk the rest of your life, you get to be the light. Colossians 3. Keep going back to there because it's, it's pregnant with great stuff. Colossians 3, 17. Let every activity of your lives and every word that comes from your lips be drenched with the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let every activity and word be drenched with his beauty. It says, and bring constant praise to the Father because of what he has done for you. A life of surrender. A life of surrender brings him glory. And then he gets to say, this is where I want you to walk. Because this is who I made you to be. And I knew you were going to walk there. You already have access to it. But he uses us to be love, to be kindness in a brutal and perverse culture of people who are lost and wandering around in the wilderness, not knowing that there's something more. We're going to go into a time of ministry now, and I'm going to play a song. And the song's called Lay It All Down. And really, 
your life is one that has the potential to impact the world around you. You don't have to build a kingdom to have an impact. You just have to know your identity and that you have access to the Father. So as we go into ministry, we're going to play this song and then Mike and Lee are going to jump on up. But if you're in a place where you've, you've lost that passion, if you're in a place where you've forgotten that, 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 that this identity that was there for you seems to be foggy now and the worries and concerns of this life have overwhelmed you, come forward, we want to pray for you guys. If you're in a place where you look like laying my life down, surrendering it all, and all you can see is how much you're going to lose, then I want to pray for you that you will know more of what you've already gained from the love of the Father. That that, you can't top it. So if that's you, Lee, can you play the song? I just want you to press into the song and then come on forward if you want prayer. Megan, Alyssa, myself will be here. Um, And this is a time to encounter and engage with the heart of the Father.